Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I wore my salmon top to work out in today and it was glorious. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Certainly sounds like it. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. You know, Glenn, I didn't hardly work out at all today. Right. Well, I th- think right. we learned a little lesson about who's better than who. Yeah. Yeah. Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I usually go with the bro tank, Glenn. Yeah. Is there any other kind, really? Yeah, no. Uh, uh, when I put on the salmon top, you know, it's uh, I'm letting everybody know I'm taking it to the next level. <laughs> sure, it's, it's deadlift time, y'all. Let's yeah. get it done. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, Jed's always been real positive, real complimentary on it, you know, really. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, really supported me. In I love sure. a, te- a salmon top. It's right. Now, when, you, right. when you're in the middle of the workout and the, the, you really build up a sweat, does that uh-huh. those areas of the shirt go to like a darker salmon? That's right. It becomes sort of a two tone element, uh, like a hyper color yeah. shirt. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you know, uh, it, I think uh, the reception is is very positive. You know, it's people good. seem to think that's uh, you know a, a winning combination. I like it. Well, if you're just tuning in or for the first time, I want to be clear that you have not accidentally downloaded So That, a, <laughs> the Internet's foremost fashion advice podcast. This is actually Say That with the spiritual advice and whatnot. And if you're joining us for the first time, it's a great it's a great episode to jump on. Later in the episode, we have an interview with Christianity Today. Maybe you've heard of it, Glenn. Yeah. Managing editor Caitlin Beatty talking about her Fancy. new book. A Woman's Place, very cool conversation with her. And then all the way at the end, we're going to have take out the song. We'd normally wait till the end to reveal the song. But we're very excited this week. We're going to let you know. This is this originally recorded for our Bridge podcast. It was on Monday's episode. This is Be Thou My Vision with a little hip-hop twist. Ooh. That's right. We have our friend, uh, Chicago MC, C.W. Allen, laying down some vocals. Nice. And very cool. This was... Sonically landscaped, I don't think is too strong a term. Sure. It may be a term I just made up. But sure. It's not too strong of a term. It's, that's a hip hop term, isn't that's, it? It is now. It is now. By Vlado Miller. It's different from sonic manscaping. That's, that's entirely very different. different. Very I, I almost got all the way through the plug. <laughs> I almost got to revealing that we worked on a track with a guy who's produced for Kanye and Lil Wayne. Right. But you felt the need to jump in with your manscaping yeah. joke. No, there right. we did. Like ha- Grammys and yeah, stuff and platinum right. records. Yeah. This guy's involved in that. Yeah. Now he's doing something for us. And I was going to tell the people about that. Yeah. But you felt your manscaping joke was Ye- very important. We had a little talk just before we hit record unbehaving and that's how long particularly there might be new people listening let's right. get the credentials out that's right we, that's yeah. right yeah well, you did the best you could didn't yeah, you? yeah and it, it didn't go well i feel no. like i feel like matt when you have when you have a guest uh you know on the podcast we don't treat that as much as we would treat like a guest in our home and maybe that's what well, glenn that does think about it but that really has more to do with the fact of the way Glenn treats guests in his home than the way we treat guests on the podcast. Yeah, it's not good. There's been an ongoing, I'm going to call this two-decade at this point, argument between Glenn and his wife that when there are people who are not Glenn and his wife in the house, pants are not only suggested but required. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Glenn does not exactly see the wisdom of that. It's my house, and uh, you know I like to keep it natural. Sure. Uh, so, you know, if you, if that's not the kind of thing you want to see, 
then why are you coming over? Sure. Sure. You know? Well, uh, on the topic, because one of the things that's strong about this show is not our ability to stay on topic or keep it uh, appropriate. That's not what we do here. Right. But what we can do, what we often do, is we relate to the people. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. On their level, the things they're going through. And I think I have an example of that, because we got an email into this into my personal inbox. Ooh. Oh. And you can't just find that on the internet. So wow. this is clearly a VIP person who will remain anonymous for reasons that will become immediately clear. Okay. Sent me a little email and said, here's the thing. Your friend clearly wants well-meaning, wants to help out, knows I do some ministry stuff, and they brought to my attention a Christian app. Oh, good. That sounds promising. For the witnessing. Uh, that came okay. with a 48-page PDF <laughs> wow, about right. how to witness in general, and there's acronyms, uh-huh. and there's salt, right. and there's light, uh-huh. and there's, you know... Well, if if you died tonight, you get to that real quick. That's that's okay. like page two of this fifty-page PDF. Right, right, right. But in app form. Right, right. So I feel like the person who sent this email in can relate to me on this show when they try to do a good thing, and their friends really super don't help the process. Right. Okay. Okay. But here's what I'm wondering, and I think Jed may have a theory on this. It seems like the kind of thing that's up Jed's alley. If there's Christian apps out there. Right. Is there a way for us to get into that sweet, sweet racket? Wow. Yeah, that's what I... I like money. Sure. sure. Dude, I like money, too. We should hang out. Yeah. And I like when people who... Uh, we talked... Speaking of our pre-show meeting, said, would you like to declare the emergency? Right. I like when they do that. Yeah. W- would you like me to do that? Please. Well, I mean, I, if you insist, I guess. On on that basis, because you've been so clear you want it, well, I, I, I guess I declare... An emergency. Well, that's a very interesting thing, Jed. What, was it was that a passive aggressive emergency? Wow. You know, um it was a blame it's that Im- emergency. If it's that important to Matthew that we have an emergency, well I guess I guess we'll just have an emergency then. Wow. I'll tell you what this is, Glenn. This is an on brand emergency. Oh. Um it, it is an on brand emergency. Uh we feel we feel there's not enough guilt in this world. Uh we right. feel that you all know that you should be guilty because you are guilty. Terribly, mm. terribly guilty. Wow. I feel the need to footnote this for if we have any new listeners. This is a character called Legalistic Jed, which <laughs> through the first um, the first uh, anthology of this podcast, we want to call it first two hundred and fifty episodes or so. Jed would announce, "I will now be transferring into Legalistic Jed." Right, right, right. And seeing what we're doing now. In the last few episodes, he started just slipping into it. Yeah, it just happened. We're all deeply disturbed by this, but we've got the Legalistic Jed telling us about his app. Matthew, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's not that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's more that we're sinners in the hands of a disappointed God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. The old Jonathan right. dad words. <laughs> and um, if you're like me, you might be wondering, in this busy, crazy day and age uh, with you Twitters and the Facetubes, <laughs> how, do, yeah. how do you make sure you're feeling guilty enough? Well, it, it it seems like there's never enough time to to keep track of how guilty you are. Glenn, Glenn you said is a that. degenerate on the go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you have time to sit down and keep some kind of guilt I journal. Got places to be, people to see. So that's why we at Say That Industries have introduced the guilt bit. I yes, see. that's right. It's a spiritual fitness tracker. Right. You wear it around your wrist. We've actually, we've produced, a, not a movie, of course, because this is an auditory medium, but we've, we've produced a bit of a, a trailer 
And to, movies are somewhat inherently sinful. Uh, absolutely. Graven images. They might lead right. to dancing. That's right. That's right. Uh, to, to dramatize the way the guilt bit works, uh, Glenn, could you cue up the intro music for our short film? There's a lot of it. It's very upbeat for a guilt bit ad. Gee, Timmy, what's that neato device on your wrist? Well, I'm glad you asked, John. That's my guilt bit. A guilt bit? What's that? Well, now I feel like you're engaging in the sin of jealousy, but I'll still tell you. You see, every day, I can look down at my wrist and ask, how many steps have I taken? Why, it's 666. That doesn't sound like a good number of steps. But then it can ask me, how many steps have I taken in the good Lord's will? Mm. That number, Jimmy is zero. Oh. I think we know someone who needs to repent. <laughs> That's right. The Guilt Bit, promoting your spiritual fitness, one guilty feeling at a time. Guilt Bit is not officially associated with the Southern Baptist Convention, but we can see why you think that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! That's that's not us. That's send, Guilt Bit Legal. Send, guilt all, bit your, legal through send it all your hate mail to Matt at... Matt at the internet dot Google. That's right. <laughs> now. Baptists I, don't know how to use email, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, okay. Here's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. Tell me. Hell is real. It, yeah, super real. I read that on a billboard, and yeah. that's the kind of thing I need right. popping up on my wrist on a regular basis. Where yes. was that billboard, Glenn? <laughs> Rural Indiana? Yeah. It? yeah. Making it a bit redundant. <laughs> no, for real, we're not making this up. If you drive inter- Interstate 65 south through Indiana, yep. yeah. about an hour in, you get the hell is real sign. Yeah, yeah. it's basically the, there's a, the main interstate that runs between Chicago and Indianapolis, Louisville, those kind of cities. It's I-65, runs right through Indiana. There's a giant billboard. It is black. And just has on it in giant block white letters, hell is real. Yeah. 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 I, I need to be constantly reminded of that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Glenn. There's a lot of things that the guilt bit is able to track and remind you of. So, for right. example, it's a good fitness tracker, right, right? In that, you know, how many breaths have you taken today? Right, you know, how's right. your breathing? You know, a fitness tracker ought to help you with right, that. Right. But then it also is a spiritual fitness tracker says, how many of those breaths have you thanked Jesus for? Wow. Absolutely. Right, right. Probably not very many. How many right. times Glenn. have you breathed in the spirit? I got a question. So, uh, with with like these other fitness trackers, like the Fitbit, for instance, if you and right. I both have one, we could set up, you know, in the app that's associated with the phone, kind of like a competition: who takes more steps during the day. Right. So, could the guilt bit track, you know, for instance, uh, how many temptations I successfully deflected versus how many right. I succumbed to, uh, how many prayers I offered up, how many times I witnessed to somebody versus how many times you did, and we could keep that pharisaical comp- competition just really thriving. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. You're actually you're absolutely right. And the reason it gets so complicated is you lose points every time you check your standing because that's the sin of pride. Wow, absolutely. Well, the other thing about that, and I think Lee's, Lee's right on the track, but I think he's, he's missed our target audience by a little bit here. Lee's mentioning positive things that you were doing right. that you might feel good about. Right. That's not what guilt is about. No. We on- right. It only tracks your failures. Right, right, right. right. So it for- doesn't track how many people you witness to. Right. It tracks the number of people you pass in any given day. And then only at the end does it mention, that's 700 people who may be bound for hell. <laughs> that's right. If only Their blood you said is on something. your head. 
Yeah, the key is oh, not gosh, to the key good. is not to give you a chance to do something about it in the moment. Right. We have to wait until the situation is totally right. passed. And then a download of report of everything you've done wrong. Yeah. You know, because I think this can keep track of your heart rate. Sure. Good so point. it tells what you enjoy. That's Uh-oh. exactly right. And Uh-oh. that is not good. Yeah, exactly right. You know what I mean? Exactly Enjoying right. things is right well, out. And what actually... Those, sorry, Jade, go for it. No, go for it. Well, Lee, I was going to say, too, also, a lot of these fitness trackers can, can kind of monitor your sleep. Yeah, so that's one of those things, you know, we we all know that, uh, you know, the sluggard just, you know, folds his arms, closes his eyes and and his life slips away. And so, you know, every time that, you know, if you, you know, depending on how long you sleep versus how long you should have slept, the guilt that reminds you and make sure that you feel appropriately guilty. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, you wake up in the morning at, you know, 7 a.m. and. You know, beep, 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 beep. Right, you know, you, right, you, right. you sleep, and it immediately gives you a message. If you'd gotten up a few minutes earlier, you could have already have done your devotions by now. Wow. Right. Or at That's least right. your first devotions. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, it keeps track when you're on Facebook. and asks Exactly you, right. You know, how much time have you been on Facebook versus his book? Wow. Yeah, sure. That's that right. Of, I really do. Absolutely. The Christians are going to love the guilt bit. And uh, what are we going to do with all the cash? That's what I'm wondering. That's a good question. That's a good question. Well, but, yeah. but I think to bring it all full circle and, and go ahead and close out the segment, I think what we can say is the guilt bit would remind us that even thinking about what we would do with our money is the sin of greed. Absolutely. Right. And on That's that right. basis, I declare an emergency off. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one on the show who has a, a blistering five-minute rant about the things, the kind of people who would buy a guilt bit would not consider the sin of greed. <laughs> but I have to save that for another time. Sure. No, if you want to be on the R&D side of the guilt bit, if you want to be right in there on the R&D side, if you want to, the, the cutting edge of spiritual guilt biometrics, the easiest way to support that, obviously, is through Bridgebox. That oh, funds yeah. all the things we do here at Say That World Headquarters. Now, we haven't gotten any of our, um, you know, our smart wearable, our guilt wearables or our uh, rage Christian movie projects off the ground quite yet. For now, we're focused mainly on uh, ministering to guys coming out of jail, coming out of addiction, working with uh, ladies in uh, recovery centers, you know, that kind of thing. Hiring part-time employees to be deacons in our bridge service who are products of the ministry. We're going to keep doing that. But then if enough people sign up and we have some extra cash, we can do things like the guilt pit. Absolutely. Right. Like Hercules versus Jesus, the movie. Sure, absolutely. Which I don't think mm-hmm. was the title of the... But it's a great... Movie. Faith Puncher. Faith Puncher. Gotta get Faith Puncher in there. Right, right. So, for now, we gotta focus on the, the ministry stuff, because that's, right. that's what we're called to do, what we're doing. But, if enough people go to missionusa.com slash richbox, sign up for only $8 a month, and we have some extra capital to hire some extra employees, the three of us up here in Chicago, and certainly Lee will be on as a consultant, we can spend our valuable time towards these kind of things. That's right. I think that's a valuable goal for us all. And not only do you get to support uh, our insane ramblings when you sign up for Bridgebox, you get your own uh, package every month of sermons, songs, Bible studies, devotionals, all sorts of good stuff for only $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. We move on to our first question here. It comes in to our email address. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways you can get in touch with this. It says, in the past few months, I've started setting boundaries with my mom, but she is very against them. For example, one time I told her she, something she said was not funny to me, that it offended me. And please not say stuff like that to me anymore. And she basically told me that what she said wasn't offensive and she had done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. I, told her I, I told her that I do not want to see her because I'm really busy with work. Finances are super tight right now. And spending time with someone, her, who isn't very nice to me is not an appealing proposition. 
Her response was, you said all that just to end with something not only rude, but not true. Nice. Being assertive doesn't mean being rude. Setting boundaries doesn't mean keeping someone away from you or even or never seeing them. Your understanding of both is not based on the Bible. And then she went into the fact that all of our issues boil down to forgiveness, and I haven't forgiven her. The ways my mom has been that I've shared with you guys, it's not right or normal, right? And the boundaries I've set are okay and necessary, right? So a lot of stuff in there, but there's a lot of uh, kind of real-world application of what this yeah. kind of next level we talk a lot about. We got a lot of questions from people saying... Here's what this uh, relationship is like. We tell them to set boundaries. Yeah. So, Glenn, let's get started off on kind of, these are the kind of problems that almost inevitably arise when you go to set that. This is how sure. people behave. So, as the person setting the boundaries, what do we, how do we process these things we're hearing and how do we hold strong in that? Well, first and foremost, uh, setting boundaries is not a time where you're looking for approval. You're not asking mm-hmm. for them to like mm-hmm. this. Um, that's not a fair expectation of them. Even yeah. if they've been inappropriate, if you're telling somebody I don't like your behavior, they're, they're going to feel a little bit uh, embarrassed about that. They're mm. going to feel a little hurt. They might kind of want to lash out a sure. little bit. As long as that's not a horrible, horrible thing, then I think uh, uh, you can kind of chalk that up to, well, you, nobody likes hearing uh, a boundary put on them, and so that's it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit of an unpleasant moment. Uh, and I think uh, it's okay to kind of allow someone a bit of a face saving way out. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I say um, you, uh, you're always saying a certain thing and that really bothers me, whatever. If they say, "Well, I don't do it all the time, but I I know I do it a lot, and I know I should cut down." You could say, sure. yeah, that's, yeah. Sure. Yes. The, the, in other words, if the point is made and they understood it and acknowledged it, but they're kind of being a little, uh, you know, unpleasant in the midst of that, I think you have to talk that up to, you know, hey, this this is kind of part of the territory. To that's, that. that's not what this is, though, just to be clear. Yeah, that's really not what this is. Um, here's what I'm getting out of what your mom is, is saying. You have to put up with me. Yep. And here's the the response to that, that that I would want to make. No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, here's how all human relationships work. If you are a jerk, eventually people will go away. Yep. That's a fact. That's not, you say, well, love overcomes and family and you always have to. Nope. Sooner or later, if you keep being a jerk, eventually you will drive people away. Right. That's the human contract that we're all engaged in here. Uh, if you just make life unpleasant and you don't take responsibility for your actions, people don't want to be around. Um, uh, yeah, I think it would be a bit extreme to say, I want you to dance like a monkey every time I see you to entertain me and, and make it enjoyable for me to come out and, and visit with you. But I think if you're saying, look, um, it's it's a significantly unpleasant thing for me to come and see you. I don't enjoy it. And uh, if you have no interest in making it enjoyable, if you have no interest in making any changes, then I think you're pretty much okay with not seeing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure why you would guilt me off that. I don't know why you would, uh, you know, try and put a, a negative thing on there. Um, but you know, uh, then there's this forgiveness piece, uh, which is interesting because I think you want to ask yourself. Uh, are, you know, is it, you know, you're saying, well, you know, I'm really busy, finances are super tight, you know, making the money for the train and so on and so forth. Those do sound like excuses from the standpoint of, is it that, or is it that she bothers you or is it both? 
if it's both, say it's both. If it's if it's you know uh, it's already unpleasant, and man, you're taking it over the top with schmucky behavior. That's what you want to say to her, you know, uh, so that we don't want to use excuses. We don't want to deflect and blame it on the train or the work or whatever. If it's really an interpersonal thing, uh, she says this is a result of you not forgiving her. And there's there's two different elements to that. One is if that's true. Uh, then uh, it's worth it for you to forgive her. You don't you don't want to carry that baggage around. You don't want to have to deal with that negativity uh, within yourself. The other side of that is um, the Bible does talk about forgiveness uh, and uh, that it comes on the other side of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there isn't yeah. any repentance here, so you don't get to call Bible. That's uh, we were just talking about the guilt bit. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I, I you know came up in a bit of a dysfunctional family, and uh, I was one of the, the the few people there that was going to church at that time. And so every now and then they would call Bible. Yeah. They would say, "You can't do this because of Bible." And uh, uh, 100% of the time, the theology of that was completely off, and and it was really a tool of manipulation. Um, uh, so, uh, recognize that, um, uh, that, that it's important to send a message that, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. My Christianity is not something that you can use as leverage against me. Yep. Um, uh, and finally, I think this bears pointing out, uh, she's talking about, uh, this is not nice behavior. It's not nice for you to point out, uh, that she does things that you don't approve of. It's not nice to explain that you basically don't want to hang out. Uh, over there, and that you have other things that are making that difficult. Uh, that she feels icky when you tell her she's behaving like a schmuck. Uh, but here's the thing: uh, nice isn't in the Bible. Yeah, that's a that's not a concept that that's uh, biblical. That's it, it's a cultural concept that floats around in Christianity a, a lot. But honesty, truth, uh, having uh, relationships that are based on authenticity and, and transparency where we're both accountable for our behavior. We're both responsible for not irritating the snot out of each other. Uh, that, that, those are biblical ideals. Uh, but uh, you being nice to me while I mistreat you is not a mm. biblical ideal. That's absolutely right. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick up on this. Um, we talk about, as we talked about, this is pretty common um, which doesn't make it less painful. We're not saying that, but it's relatively common when you try to set a boundary with someone. But of all the groups in the world that yeah. people try to set boundaries with, parents tend to be the most resistant yeah. to that idea. And not again, not that I excuses any of it, but is there can understanding the particular reasons that even a functional parent might be slightly resistant to this, can that help us kind of affect our game plan going forward? Absolutely. And um, I think you're exactly right to point that out, that this is, these are especially touchy people about boundaries, parents are. And one of the reasons that we want to kind of, uh, kind of focus on this piece of it is because of the way that you write the question, you're like, I didn't set these boundaries poorly, right? And this is out of pocket, right? I mean, as you're asking this, we're all looking at this going, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, your, your, your parent doesn't see it that way because, because a lot of parents don't. The, the, one of the problems is that parents, when you start your life, your parent is kind of the boss of everything, 
they literally decide what food goes into your mouth and what clothes go onto your body and what time you go to sleep, what time you nap, what time you wake up. That's how your life begins. And as somebody who's worked with high school and college folks for the past 15 years, there are parents who do not change that situation in their minds all the way through a 20-year-old child. Um, mm-hmm. They decide how that child dresses. They decide where they go. They decide what they eat. <laughs> they decide who they're friends with. They decide everything about their lives. And of course, healthy, functioning parent-child relationships, you're going to transition out of that boss kind of coach, micromanaging everything relationship into uh, we're both adults at some point, and we're peers who are choosing to have a relationship together. We have a closer relationship, hopefully, because we have history and we have affection and we've gone through some conflict. That's a healthy situation. But that transition right there where a parent kind of graduates out of micromanaging everything about your life and becoming less of a coach. The way I like to talk about it is like they become less of a coach and more of a cheerleader. Somebody who starts out calling all the shots and winds up becoming a person who encourages you, who's there for advice, who's there to pick up the pieces when things fall apart. That is not a natural transition for a lot of folks. And so when you start setting boundaries like these for your parents, a lot, a lot of parents react very, very poorly to this. It doesn't mean that you set the boundaries wrong, but it does mean that they don't understand what world they're in. Because one thing, and this is a really hard thing for us to realize as kids, that it's very easy for those folks who are listening to this, who are parents, it's very easy for you to understand this. There's a way at which, you know, I look at my 12-year-old daughter and I see that she's 12, and yet I can still see her when she was six months old in that same face. I can still see that same face right there. I can still see that same expression and same looks in her face. And so it's that's a hard thing for parents to get their mind around. I tell you all that to say this. It's not that you set up the boundaries poorly, and it's not that you need to change the boundaries, but understanding that may affect the way that you have some of these conversations in trying to help your mom see some of this. I know that you... Uh, I, I know that you took care of me when I was little. I know that you, you, you know, you raised me. You did everything. Now I'm an adult, and now I'm grown up, and now I'm going to be making some of these calls for myself. And maybe that can inform the way some of these conversations go. A lot of this stuff with your mom is super out of pocket, but this is a hard transition for a lot of parents, and most of them do not do it well. Mm. That's a fantastic point, and Jay, I'd love to get you to uh, close out on this by talking about it's it's with boundaries. It can be with a lot of other family stuff and other relational stuff. Um, and we're telling you, we're, we'll, we'll all say it, that you're right in this. This The way your mom's behaving is, and there was more in the email, obviously we have to cut it down for what we were on the show, but uh, the way your mom's behaving is not okay. And the way she's reacting to you setting a pretty reasonable boundary is indicative of super not okay kind of yeah. stuff under the service. Right. But when we have, uh, when it's just a he said, she said, it's, that can, as Glenn pointed out to you, that can have a way of, well, maybe I wasn't in the best mood and I'm not always. So what are the things we can do in our own life to um, make sure we're balancing all this in the giving everything the right amount of uh, weight as we kind of move into these relationships? It's a great question. Well, my wife Hallie has dealt with a lot of these issues. So I sat down with her earlier today and I asked her what she thought. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you what she said. And I think is very, very wise and very, very smart. The thing is, before you start, I just want to, just as the, the host, I think asking your wife is kind of a performance enhancing drug. 
yeah right as far as the show so that's uh, jed's gonna have the smartest answer because he asked his wife but that's cheating we're gonna dock him some points for that absolutely yeah. it's it's due so the, the thing is um the the conversation that you're having with your mom on some level is this mom there are limits on your behavior right um there there are things i'm not okay with and right. your mom is coming back to you and saying no there are no limits on my behavior right okay well, this is this is the key thing. There there are no healthy relationships where there are no limits on behavior. That's right. All healthy. I can do whatever I want, and you just have to take it. Is never something that's acceptable in right. a relationship of any kind. In, that's right. In any relationship anywhere on earth, there's right. there's always an exit mechanism. You can quit mm-hmm. the job. You can break up with the significant other. Um, you cannot visit mom. And even if you want to comply with that. You have your limit. She'll push you past. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we need to be crystal clear. She is saying, no, I should get to do whatever I want, and you just have to put up with it. And that's right out. That's yeah. that's a thumbs down. But there's something, and it's it's true for parents in particular, but it can be true for a lot of people, that they emit what we colloquially refer to as a reality distortion field. Mm-hmm. Just there's something about the way they, it's the Jedi mind trick. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Right. right. You know, there's something about you can go into that conversation knowing, no. Mom is wrong about this. This is unhealthy behavior. I am right about this. And yet mom starts talking and you go, well, maybe. Right. I mean, I. She did carry me for nine months. There are things about forgiveness in the Bible. There are things in the Bible. And I don't know. And honor thy father and mother. And gosh, maybe I'm the jerk here. I don't even know. Okay. That's that's the reality distortion field. And if you can dig it, there are certain people where they're good at doing that. And that's how they get through life. That's right. Is they just they're confusing to deal with. It's 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 right. it's weird to think about it, but there are people that have just kind of that Jedi mind trick ability. They can they can right. just do that. And there's something here's one of the really unfun things about growing up is that there's a lot of stuff that you need to do that's the right thing to do and it feels super wrong. Right. And it feels super unnatural. The idea of I need to sit my mom down and say, "Mom, you are misbehaving." Right. And I'm giving you a timeout. Right, right. That feels so backwards. Right. That feels right. so off, even though it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So part of what you need is you need a moral backup in your life. You need people who know the situation, who aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear, but who know the situation and can say, no, you're right. You are, you know, you are right in what you're saying. This is the right approach. But we'll also call you. You know, if you sit down with your mom and you start calling her names, those some people say, no, no, no. That's not that's not acceptable. You right, can't right, you can't right. be that. You know you got to be cool about stuff and whatnot, because those people that you can rely on that will tell you the unvarnished truth of what you're dealing with will help to counteract that reality distortion field. Yes. Part of what your mom is counting on is that there's no one in your life that will do that. Mm-hmm. There's no one that you can sit down over a cup of coffee with and you can tell them all this and they will say to you, "Your mom is wrong." Right. Right. Now right. here's something you can work on to improve that might help that situation. Right. You right, know. Right. You, you know. You can forgive her. You if can you're forgive still harboring stuff. Was your voice raised when you're saying all this? Because right, right, you right. can. You can. You know. Be different in the way that you present it. But your mom. Bottom line, your mom is wrong. Mm-hmm. Your mom's kind of the fact that you don't have those relationships in your life. Right. right uh, because right, right. that is. That's how you turn off the rowdy distortion field mm-hmm. is you you get those people that can be a, really a body to you that can that can, you know, help you stay grounded to what reality is. But the other thing that they can do is they can help you double check your boundaries for the sake of your sanity. Mm-hmm. There are a few things more psychically painful than pushing for something that your intellect says is right and your emotions say are wrong. 
Right. That yeah. will really mess with your head. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a term that psychologists use, that term is cognitive dissonance. And, and that's what we're describing here is you kind of, you believe two opposing things really at the same time and it really messes with your, with your brain. So what a good pastor and a good mentor and a good group of fellow believers can do is let you know which of the things you're insisting on are right and good and biblical and which things are not. In other words, if you're going to your mom and saying, you can't say abusive things to me, I'm not going to put up, you can't call me names, you can't call me fat, you can't call me stupid, those things are right out, then those people can say, no, those are good boundaries. Those Those are solid boundaries. If you're going to your mom and say, you always need to tell me I'm wonderful every time I talk to you or, or we can't, right. that's, those people say, those are not good boundaries. That's, right, right, that's right. not healthy. You're Overcooked. actually asking for something that's not good. So right. having people, that, again, that can be objective to that situation, that can keep you grounded is both how you turn off mom's reality distortion field and how you keep yourself sane. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have those people in your life who want to start building those relationships, if you're not sure how to do that, email us back. We'd love to talk about how you can begin to build some of those relationships, and that's going to help you navigate this relationship with your mom. Amen. That's all really fantastic stuff. All right, we're going to take you to our interview with Caitlin Beatty. She's the managing editor of Christianity Today and the co-founder of the Christianity Today women's blog, Hermeneutics. Her uh, book is a really interesting look at kind of uh, kind of where we are as far as church and the women, and particularly focusing on the workplace. It's a really interesting listen if you're a young gal who's dealing with that stuff. It's also a good listen if you're a dude. Because uh, Jed and I were talking about this earlier today, it really does. She really does a great job peeling back some of the layers of the particular struggles that women have looking at some of the stuff. So, yep. for a guy who has ladies in your life, or someday would hope to have ladies in your life, right. and not massively anger them by yep. downplaying their struggles, really good thing to listen into. And uh, her book is called A Woman's Place. It's available July nineteenth. You can pre-order it on Amazon right now. So we're going to take you that right now. main thing uh, so the book is titled a woman's place which is i i assume intentionally a pretty uh evocative title what was what's your overall goal for the book what conversation are you trying to start yeah so in my work at christianity today for the past nine years i've witnessed more and more conversations about the integration of faith and professional work and just more christians both wanting to know what the Christian faith says about their professional work since we spend so much of our waking lives in in the workplace. We want to know that it matters. I would say that those conversations are really good and really needed. They also tend to be led by men or directed toward, toward men. And in my own experience, and then in knowing many other professional women, just recognizing that women is women are going to bring a different set of questions and different experiences to the conversation about faith and work. So I really wanted to both give women a voice for integrating faith and work and, and bring some of their unique questions and tensions to bear on how the larger church talks about faith and work. What, what are some of those specific questions? What are uh, kind of some of those things that are maybe unique to the the place women are in right now as they approach kind of work and life? Yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, one of the biggest points of tension or, you know, we say we use the word balance, which has has its strengths and weaknesses, but one of the biggest tensions that a lot, a lot of women face is what having children will mean for their professional lives. So there are a lot of choices around, um, you know, the kind of workplace you work in, 
um, whether or not you and your family can have someone at home full time with a child after he or she is born. Is it difficult for women to, if they're, if they exit the workforce for a time, is it going to be possible to enter the workforce at a later time? A lot of women are asking, what does this all mean for my identity? I think a lot of women, when they, when they, let's say they're working throughout their twenties and maybe early thirties, and then they get married and start having children, they experience a shift in their identity and in their roles and how they think of themselves. And I don't know that that's quite as true for men when they have children. Um, and so really wanting to give women a framework for thinking about identity and ultimately saying, you know, we, we all pass through different seasons of life. And when our identity is rooted in Christ and his call upon our lives, there's a lot of freedom um, and, and there's a lot of acceptance of where other women and where other Christians are in their own particular lives and seasons and callings and, and recognizing that there is a variety of callings and, and yet there's a lot of unity around at the foot of the cross and that that's, that's more important. Our identity in Christ is more important than any particular role or season of life we find ourselves in. Absolutely, and uh, the structure of the book, I think, follows that. It's it's not a pedagogy on what women should do. Uh, you you talk to a lot of women. You, your own story is reflected in that. Was it important to you to um, have real flesh and bone people that you're kind of reflecting back, as opposed to looking at all of this in the theoretical? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't imagine writing this book just by sitting at my desk at home and thinking important thoughts, right? Like these, these questions and these conversations really affect and impact how people live out their day-to-day lives and live out their day-to-day faith. And so it was really important for me both to share from my own experience, but also to reflect other women's experiences. And so, and, and my, my training at Christianity Today being in a journalistic setting really helped me think through that and and really prioritize that. So I ended up meeting with groups of 10 different groups of women, and that included about 120 women total. And so obviously there was a vast range of life experiences and life stages represented in those groups, and that was important to reflect that diversity. Um, and, And just to say, you know, this this topic isn't just about me. The book is certainly not a memoir. Like I'm 31. I don't have enough life material to write a memoir. Um, (laughs) But that it was really about other people and what they're thinking and feeling and experiencing and that their stories are just more fascinating than mine. (laughs) It is not all about you. It's not a memoir, but it does start from a personal place. So what was the... The story you tell at the beginning, could you relate kind of a shorter version of that? And was that what um, motivated you to write the book, or was that just a handy lens to see everything through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I start the book from a very vulnerable place, <laughs> which is that I, I relay the story of, at age 28, going through a broken engagement, and on the same day that the person I was engaged to and I, you know, decided to end the engagement and, and broke things off. 
I, that same day, I was also offered the position of managing editor at Christianity Today, and I had no prior knowledge that the job would even be open or available anytime soon. It was completely unforeseen. And I thought a lot, actually, you know, these are two really big life events to coincide within a matter of hours on the same day. And so since then, I've thought a lot about the significance of that day and just recognizing and really believing that when a door was shutting in my life in in a painful way, God was opening up another door and inviting me to invest more fully and deeply in my professional work. And I think before that time, before that day, I really thought of work as something good up to a point. Mm. Like, this is good for as long as it lasts, or this is good for this season, but certainly it's not the thing that God wants me to invest in. And and that day, and, and since then, recognizing actually professional work is a central way that we honor God and that we bless our neighbors and that we contribute meaningfully to cultural change. And I, I'm, I'm not so presumptuous to say this is what I'm going to be doing forever, but I, I definitely think now of work as a very central part of who I am and who God made me be. And I think there's room and there's space um, in the Christian tradition and in our theology to, to honor a professional work's role in our lives and, and in the work that God is doing in the world, too, that he wants to partner with us in whatever field we're working in to bring um, comprehensive flourishing. You know, there's this Hebrew word, shalom, which, it, you know, translated more or less means comprehensive flourishing, and that we, we each you know, each Christian has a role to play in bringing that to bear and to and reflecting that in our world, whether we're accountants or nonprofit leaders or pastors or, you know, primary caretakers or artists. Like, we all have a role to play at pointing to the, the coming kingdom. And, um, and that's a very exciting and liberating way of thinking about work rather than just the way that I get a paycheck or the thing that I do until something better comes along. So I want, I want readers to be invited into that larger vision of the meaning of our work. It's really fascinating. You mentioned get, getting the job as managing editor. Am I right? And I believe I read at the time you were, well, I guess since you still have the job, this would apply now as well. You were uh, the first female managing editor and, and the youngest managing editor at Christianity Today. Yeah, that's correct. It's something that I allow other people to say about me, but I feel a little sheepish leading with myself. <laughs> sure, no, makes perfect sense. It's, it's But now that you said it, it's totally fine to acknowledge that these things are true. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, and very impressive. I will say that part as well. Um, but yeah, thank you. It's definitely true, but you. Th- I think that brings us back to that idea of balance because I think it would have been it seems like it would have been easy for this to be a very kind of um, girl boss memoir where um, (laughs) you had these two things happen on the same day. And that made you realize that uh, marriage and motherhood are not what it is. And it's all about work. Um, But it seems like you're still looking at that idea of balance. Is, is there, is there a certain discipline as a professional woman to not just 
rejecting that idea of having a balanced life and throwing yourself into one or the other extreme? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we are in a time when we well, and this is beyond the conversation about women and work. We are just in a very polarized time. We're in a time of extremes. And so I think a lot of women who are reacting to maybe their mom's generation or in the church, maybe what's held up as like the best or highest calling, we have a, we have a temptation to react in equal and opposite measure. And I would say just as we need more and better ways of talking about the importance and goodness of work in the church, we also risk turning work into an idol, you know, into the mm. thing that we look to to give us ultimate meaning and ultimate purpose and to, you know, um, pump up our egos and to, and to tell us that we're important. And all of those things, you know, the desire to be seen, the desire to be loved, the desire to be accepted, our ultimate source of those good things is God and what he has proclaimed to us in Jesus Christ rather than anything that we accomplish or um, anything that we cling, to, cl- we cling to in this life for our identity. So, yeah, just as I think, you know, sometimes marriage and family can, we risk turning those into idols in, in the Christian world. We don't want to err in the opposite direction and turn professional work or even something like cultural influence, right, or, or leadership into idols. Um, and then, you know, going back to this, this, this topic of balance, I think one of the words that I have found more helpful in thinking about like a whole life calling, you know, all dimensions of life is something like integration. Mm. So, um, so it's not that work and life are these equal and opposite forces that we always have to choose between, and they're always competing for our time and energy. It's that work and relationships and family and church and ministry and fun, you know, and friendships sure. and, and recreation, all of these are elements of a life well-lived and, and what it means to be a flourishing human being and the more that we can integrate those into a central narrative of living for God and for the glory of God, I think that the healthier and, and the fuller we will be. Um, so, yeah, I find the language of work-life balance um, pretty unhelpful. I, and, and in my interviews with women, you know, the language of balance is just kind of silly. Like, I'm never going to have balance. You know, that that's... That's what I heard from a lot of women is wow. just, um, you know, life, life so often feels like choosing, choosing to say no and choosing to neglect some other part of your life. Like whatever you invest in, you're saying you're neglecting some other part. And I think that's a really, that can be a really discouraging and defeating way to live. And, and what if we started using the language of integration and, um, and wholeness and fullness. I think that would that would help us. It would, I think it would just free us to be attentive to the thing that's before us in that particular moment. Um, yeah. So I I'm still working out my my thoughts on that, but definitely the language of integration 
strikes me as more helpful and healthier than balance. You spend a fair amount of time in your work and in the book kind of looking at those the language we use to discuss things and how that has an impact. I think it's fascinating work. And one of the, I don't know if you go into it too much in the book, but I've read some, some other interviews and stuff. One of the obviously big hairy words um, when it comes to the language of discussing gender, particularly in the church is feminism, which mm-hmm. has been allowed to be uh, defined in the popular conversation, largely by people who hate it, which is mm. maybe a little confusing. So what does it mean to you to kind of look at that title? Do you reject it? Do you claim it? What does it mean to you to Mm -hmm. be someone who is a Christian and a feminist? Sure. Yeah, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you asked that. And yes, the, the feminist, feminism word is kind of a bad word in Christian circles. And I think obviously some of that is very understandable. I mean, the, so very brief history, there are generally considered to be three different waves of the feminist movement in the United States. And the second wave is really what most Christians and really just most Americans affiliate with the word feminism. So that was the, um, the push for equal pay and for women's leadership in organizations and also the rise of the pro-choice movement and, you know, um, fighting for kind of, access to legal abortion, and that's the most troubling aspect of the feminist movement, both to me personally as a Christian, and then also to a lot of other people and to people in the church. When you look at the first wave of feminism in the early 20th century, specifically around the the fight for women's right to vote, a lot of those social reforms were actually guided by Christians. So these were women who very much identified as Christians and saw their work on behalf of women to arise from their faith. And one of the reasons that they wanted to give women the vote is because they, they saw women as positive moral agents and agents of moral reform in society. So if we give women the vote, we'll actually have, and this was their thinking, as Christians, we will have a better, kinder, fairer society and so I, I look to that tradition as one of the ways that I um, claim the label feminist. And, and really, I think when you look at the scriptures, even though Christians have different beliefs about men's leadership in the church and in the home, I think every Christian I know would say that men and women are equal in value and worth and dignity, and that they both both men and women fully bear the image of God, they're full image bearers. And I think all Christians recognize that we live in a fallen world, and we live in a world where um, women are treated violently, um, they're silenced and oppressed, especially in, in the global scene. And every Christian I know sees those um, the violence and subjugation of women as a mark of the fall and not the way that the world is supposed to be. And so to me, saying that I'm a feminist is really just saying I believe in the equal dignity and worth of men and women, and I want to see women um, freed from, from violence and subjugation. And I realize that that's complicated, and some Christians might say, well, why add the feminist label? Why not just call yourself a Christian? 
Um, but I do think some of the claims of the feminist movement actually point us to the truth about the way that the world is. I usually, when people ask me this, I am very clear to say that I'm a pro-life feminist. So I believe that abortion is both morally wrong and should be legislated against. Yeah, I don't know if that makes your listeners nervous, but <laughs> that's where I am on the issue. Our listeners are very used to being nervous. It's okay. We've created an entire <laughs> okay. an entire system where people tune into this show wondering what crazy outlandish thing we might say. Believe me, you're you're well within the pale on that. Okay, okay. So there have been crazier things said on yeah. this podcast than I'm a Christian feminist. We may have a running joke that Joel Osteen has a robot, time-traveling, Terminator-esque robot cyborg army that's been sent to the future to destroy us. So, yeah, I think uh, having a nuanced political stance is is well within our, our listeners' ability to grasp. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really interested in hearing more about the robot. Well, you know, Joel Osteen robot. Sure. Our general theory is Joel Osteen currently has the number one Christian podcast, which read into Christian culture about that, which you will. But clearly we think we're destined for that spot. So anytime we have a technical malfunction, we assume it's the simplest explanation is time traveling robot cyborgs sent by Joel Osteen to try to keep us down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's really the only logical conclusion that can be made at this point. Yes, and it's also a reason to be thankful for podcasting, because I really don't think they'd let us get away with saying that on Moody Radio. <laughs> well, yeah, probably not. <laughs> right? Absolutely. It's a, I think that's a great up note to end on. Caitlin Beatty is the managing editor of Christianity Today, the co-founder of the Christianity Today women's blog, Hermeneutics, and her new book, A Woman's Place, is available for pre-order everywhere you buy books. Caitlin, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. All right. That was really cool. We appreciate Caitlin taking the time. Again, you can find her uh, work at Christianity Today. You can find the book A Woman's Place on Amazon pre-order now. It's coming out next Tuesday. All right. We move on to our final question here. It comes in to our email inbox. And it's, it's uh, another boundaries question, but I think there's a lot of interesting other stuff going on here that I really like pairing it with the, our first question here. It says, I have a question about friendship and boundaries. My roommate and I are really good friends, but I think I've become overly attached. We do almost everything together. We cook and share meals together. We go to the same church, the same Bible study, watch TV and go out together. We really enjoy each other's company. We're always laughing, and when we do have conflicts, we try really hard to maturely listen and understand each other. We can be really silly and goofy with each other, but then we also have really deep and meaningful conversations. She has helped me so much in my walk with God, and I'm really thankful for our friendship. I'm afraid, though, because all the things I just listed are things that I want in a life romantic partner. Because I'm single, I think I have been subconsciously placing her in a space she can't fill. I love her, and I don't want to lose the closeness we have, but I also want to protect myself and I don't want to keep her in the mental, emotional space where I think about my future partner will hold and then become jealous and or hurt when she eventually finds a boyfriend and no longer needs me. How do I reestablish a healthier relationship without being cold or hurting myself in the process? Like I said, it's another boundary question. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on here uh, as far as, you know, kind of uh, dating stuff and healthy friendship stuff. And we talk a lot about, you know, putting people in the right box and whatnot. So, Lee, uh, where would you start us off with all that? Well, the the funnily enough, the place I would start actually is by saying there's actually a lot of good stuff going on 
in, uh, in, in kind of what you're giving us about this relationship in the sense that, you know, the, the you've got, uh, you've got a good friendship filled with a lot of cool stuff, a lot of support, a lot of, you know, a, a, a lot of loyalty for each other, a lot of, you get along well, all this kind of stuff is great. When you have this kind of a question, and we, we get these kinds of questions a lot where somebody says, I've got this potential conflict maybe one day in the future. I've got a really great relationship right now. There may be something that might happen in the future one day. I'm feeling all these things. What should I do? And typically what we say in that situation is, say all of the things that you just said to us to them, and let's have that conversation. Let's have that exactly the way that you said it with us. Uh, say, these are the things that I'm thinking about this. These are the things I love about our friendship. These are the things that um, I'm hoping for the future. Um, you know, when you know when we start dating people and kind of go our separate ways and stuff, I don't want to lose certain things about this friendship. And so, um, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if this or that is a, is a, you know, a weird potential pitfall or whatever. I actually think you've got a lot of cool stuff going on in this friendship and that there's a lot to be celebrated. And then to have that conversation, just straight up, tell her what you love about this whole thing, tell you what, what you fear about this whole thing. And then I would say this, just kind of as a practical thing, go ahead and make a plan for the future. So the future where you have, you know, you're both off, you know, dating somebody or married and uh, to somebody else and you've got, you know, kids or whatever, you know, down the road or whatever, when you've kind of, you know, you live in different cities or whatever and say, you know, once a year or a couple times a year or something, let's get together and have kind of a weekend where, you know, we meet in a different city, we go watch a, you know, a show together, we go shopping together or whatever, and we just decide that we're going to keep this we're going to keep this f- friendship going in, in in some way that we can meet up just to kind of get yourself ready for this is, you know, we know that there's this relationship is not always going to look like this. So how can we keep what we really love and enjoy about this uh, as our future lives change and stuff like that? But I think the place that you want to start is exactly as you told it to us, have this conversation with your roommate, with your friend, and, uh, and, and let's see you know, what we really have to worry about here. That's a really good point to start. I like a lot what Leah's saying there about all relationships kind of are in flux and yep. going through seasons. And Jed, maybe you can pick up on that because I think Leah's exactly right in that as our, as our friend who wrote the question and describes this friendship now, there's nothing particularly violating boundaries or wrong about no. it. Um, uh, it's, Yes, if you're, uh, it's probably not sustainable as in this r- friendship can last exactly this way Forever. throughout the next stage of life. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So how do we, how do we, uh, as you use the cognitive dissonance term earlier, how do we put this in the right cognitive framework, kind of um, focus on the positives and not be overwhelmed by uh, doom impending around every corner? It's a great question. I think one of the things we want to do for sure, just to agree with Lee, Celebrate what you have today. Enjoy what you have mm-hmm. today, man. You know, I mean, you've got a beautiful friendship with a person that you love and care about. That's awesome. That's something to enjoy. But you also recognize that all relationships evolve. Uh, they go through seasons. And, and this actually, if you can dig it, this is what's at the heart of the problem with our first question today, which is when we try and insist that relationship can't evolve, as right. in the case with the mom and exactly. the daughter, that's where we've gotten into problems. Right, it, right, right. It's evolving whether you want it to or not. Right. Um, so the key thing is to embrace that sense of evolution and, and say, what's the, what's the next season going to be like? And what, what cool new things can come into this relationship as we enter this, this next season that weren't there before, right? I think one of the things that we want to look at is 
Can we get into the habit of cheering each other on as we explore interests and hobbies and opportunities and whatnot that don't involve the other person, right? right. So, for example, if your friend decides, I want to train for a 5K, can you be cool with just cheering her on as she trains for it? Right. You, you don't have to do it. You don't have to run it. But you cheer her on. Can right. can you do that? And vice versa, as you uh, you know get involved with, you're going to start working on your masters and you're taking classes and whatnot. But she's not going back to school. Can she cheer you on and be supportive with right. that? Right. The reason this is is important is you're you're talking about you know an eventual for you and and for both of you you know you you meet Mr. Right and you get married and whatnot. You want an extreme closeness, yes, with your spouse, but you don't share everything in your life. You're not doing the same things. I mean. You go you go to one job, he goes to another. How do you cheer each other on in these separate things that you are doing separately, right? right, right. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that we can get into, you know, kind of in current society is the sense of if we're not together 24 hours a day, if we're not, you know, in physical, literal proximity 24 hours a day, do, do we even have a relationship? You know, well, that's... That's a little, it's a little bit silly, but it's, it's a little bit short-sighted. I mean, part of the point of a close relationship, whether it's a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage, is to build, that, to build each other up so that you can then be sent out to go and live out the life that God has for you and do the work that he has for you to do. Yeah. Um, if, if, we're, if we're always only at home base with each other, we actually can't live out that life God has for us. We're, we're, we're yeah. holding each other back in a sense. I can also tell you just you know, on a personal level, um, uh, Glenn is one of my best friends in the world. Um, he knew me long before I was married. Right. Um, uh, obviously I've been married now for, for quite a while. Um, our friendship has not deteriorated. Right. It, it, it is, it is not a worse or less close right, or right, less right. fun friendship today. It's evolved. Right, I mean, right. it's a little bit different right. today than it was nine years ago, right. but it's not, it's, it, it's just, it's just different it's just right. it's matured it's aged that's that's good but it's not it's not worse and so on that i want to say one quick thing you might have heard us talk in this podcast before about um you know being friends with members of the opposite sex and that has kind of a short shelf life because you know eventually you're going to date someone else and you know besides that's not true with friendships that are same gender right, right. um you know uh, in in fact your spouse should encourage you to keep those friendships going sure yeah. um in fact, it would be a warning sign if you got into a dating relationship and that person said, you should have no friends of any kind. Right, right. I am, I am jealous of all of your friendships. Yeah, that's a bad sign. That, that's a bad sign. To the contrary, uh, my wife insists you need to go hang out with your friends. Right you, right. you need to go hang out with Glenn. You need to go hang out with Matt. You need to go hang out with Lee. And vice versa. I, I insist you need to go hang out with Jane. You need to go hang out with Tasha. You need to go hang out with, with your friends. So uh, there, there's not an impending doom, but start figuring out how do we support each other in the individual lives that God has for us. That'll be great, both for this relationship and training for your future marriage. That's really fantastic. I think that really points to, as we talked about in the show before, what's, what's the, what are the point of these relationships? And one of the point of friendships is, Jed's saying is to cheer each other on, encourage each other and other stuff. It's not necessarily always to come back and be in this nest where we're all just friends together. Um, one of the other, one of the uh, things we looked at this question as I throw it over to Glenn is uh, you had this, it seems it's one of those things that sounds like a valid concern when you say it until you look at it and say, I'm worried that I'm you know, unhealthily putting this in the slot that a relationship would go. And um, there's a pretty simple fix to that. 
I feel like we say it a lot, but Glenn, why don't you walk us through that? Ask someone out. Oh, like if I have a dating relationship, I yeah. wouldn't have to worry about like, am I? Because I would have the dating relationship to fill the right. dating relationship. Oh, That's right. Yeah. Seems uh, a little mundane, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing a little bit of roommate ties in, in this question. <laughs> and please, honey, don't. Please don't. Just please don't. Okay, let's 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 sail on from the madness. Maybe of that. a little bit of over spiritualizing going on here. Yeah, well, and I think it's the kind of thing if you if you read some of these uh, less uh, well researched uh, dating and marriage books that are not based at all on <laughs> any experience of counseling anyone ever at all in any way at all. Um, you come away with the idea that love is a Limited resource that you have to make sure you give uh, a certain amount of it to one person because there wouldn't be enough left over for another person. Sure. And you'd be cheating this other person by giving your heart to this other person. And If you check your guilt bit, it'll let you know how much you're cheating everyone in your life. <laughs> That's right. You're giving away pieces of your heart. Yeah. <laughs> this actually, uh, A, doesn't exist. B, it's not in the Bible. C, is insane. And D is not how love works. Yep. Uh, we we can't get into this this mentality that we have a limited amount of love that God gives to us to give to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that that reduces or, or inhibits the amount of love that I have to give to others is how much I receive from God. And there are times when I'm not receiving it because I'm caught up in my own uh, madness and my own nonsense or whatever. Uh, so, you know, that's more of the concern of where's, where's the health of my relationship with God, but the healthier a relationship I have with God, the more love that I have to give. And, um, uh, you're giving a lot of love and having a, a good intimate friendship with your roommate does not mean that there's less love to give to whatever man mm-hmm. comes into your life as, as Jed was pointing out very well, but, uh, I, I'm really stressing on what Matt was saying here that uh, I think part of your concern is um, there's a need for intimacy in your life and you're putting your roommate and you're sort of leaning on your roommate and your room, roommate may be leaning on you as an alternative to going out and, and, and seeking a dating relationship. I think I'm sure like Glenn, let me ask this because it's one of those things where that could happen in a functional way, but we have a, right. I, I feel like I talk on the show a lot about kind of the order of operations here. If we're, you know, if you, if you both had bad dates or you weren't having any luck on the app or whatever it was, right. and you came together yes. and had some wine and commiserated over that, yes. that's one thing, but this yeah. kind of, this almost feels like a pre-commiserating on the romantic yeah. failure. Well, I think off of what you're saying, there's a sense of we're re- you're either reinforcing each other in your fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid too. Let's not do anything. Mm. Or uh, per what Jeb was talking about, is celebrating the other person. Whatever. You're 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 either reinforcing each other's fear or you're reinforcing each other's courage to yeah. go out yeah. and say yeah. you should ask this. We're both going to pick somebody cute. We're going to ask them to get coffee. We'll double date this thing. That's you know whatever. And everybody and we're just going to have fun. And so let's do that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm scared. I'm scared too. But there's no reason to be scared. And fear doesn't bring about the the, the you know righteous life that God desires. I th- that's a really good saying, Jed. Dude, you're welcome. I just wrote that right now. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. You should copyright that. You know, I'm gonna. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Pitt Industries, 2016. That's right. All rights reserved. <laughs> but that, this, is, uh, this is what we want to encourage you on, is to, to, uh, to flip this inside out, to get, encourage one another. Let's get out there. Let's, uh, you know, l- let's take the intimacy and the fun and the, 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 the quality relationship uh, that we have uh, as roommates in this household, whatever. Let's let's uh, uh, turn that out into the world. We have a lot of love and encouragement and reinforcement that we've given to each other. Let's uh, let's expand that into these other relationships. And there's no reason why you know you you know you can't both date uh, wonderful people and and have uh, children together and grow up together and be friends for life. You know, there's sure. you know the, the there isn't anything to fear there. But the question is, what does that dynamic set up? Right. You know. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a lot of really good stuff on this. There's kind of this idea of, and we've joked about it in other stuff, and we've actually had people directly ask questions of kind of Christians falsely seeing idolatry everywhere. And this is kind of one of those things because, and again, none of this is on you. This is, uh, we, we've not necessarily heard it put in this uh, particular amount of detail so much, but we get a lot of stuff like this, which is basically, I'm afraid I like certain things and people too much. Right. I'm afraid yeah. I spend too much fun time with my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, surely crippling some part of my life I can't see. And that's a, a thing we talked about uh, on other stuff that recovery communities called finding the fear. Yep. yep. And you're, you're a lot of Christians have been, again, not your fault. You've been raised with it. It's a cultural thing to look for the fear and the doom and everything. Yeah. So these guys are saying it's a really a surprisingly small switch to say, I have this awesome best friend who is totally encouraging to me. So if we just both turn this towards something positive, then it's a force that can't be stopped. And that's, it's a, right. that's right. It's a much smaller switch than you think, but it does come with that, as Glenn was exactly right, saying we can either look to find the courage or find the fear. Right, that's and it's right. A, it's, a, it's a smaller step to think, to make than you would think. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We want to thanks, say thanks one more time to uh, Christianity Today Managing Editor Caitlin Beatty. And remember, the Ooh. book is called A Woman's Place, available everywhere July 19th. We're going to take out with a song. This is a version of Be Thou My Vision featuring our friend Chicago MC C.W. Allen, the sonic landscaping, Glenn, yes. was done by Vlado Miller, who's worked with some people you may have heard of called Kanye West and Lil Wayne. So we're very big yet, and we're super happy that uh, so many talented people lended their, uh, their skills to this track. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It's also available on uh, Monday's episode of The Bridge Podcast if you want a little more uh, backstory on that's good stuff. So take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we bid adieu to our first-time listeners who decided not to subscribe. We applaud your sense of taste. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can blame you.
people look at you stupid and piety seeming small Questions I gotta ask, looking into the mirror Cause life can be toxic if you don't have to live Everything. Jesus can't do anything. On and on, call it on. Jesus be my Lord of all.